the Boston Celtics are winning against good and bad teams, which makes me nervous just bringing it up. In other good news, we're happy to welcome Cam Tabatabee. Did I say that right? <laughs> Not quite, but no one does. Tabatabai. Tabatabai. On board the podcast, uh, who you probably heard me screw up his name before uh, on previous podcasts, uh, but also read on Celtics Hub and uh, Off the Glass Basketball more recently. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. So it seems like the Boston Celtics, I don't want to say have, have you know found their way, turned the season around. It's just like every time I say that, they basically go on a losing streak. Uh, mostly the teams they shouldn't be losing to, but... At least so far, uh, the big soap opera surrounding Kyrie Irving, uh, he seems like he's been really taking that that shift in approach uh, post-LeBron phone call to heart, where he's been averaging 14.5 uh, assists per game over the last uh, two games, and I think before before this last one in Atlanta. Uh, and I think he's averaging just over 11 right now, um, all wins. Um What's your take on this entire situation uh, since we haven't really talked for, for, for quite a while, basically most of the season? Yeah, uh, <laughs> the Kyrie thing was pretty funny. I remember seeing it you know, pop up on my Twitter feed as it was happening. And at first, I didn't, I, you know, I didn't think twice about it. But the more that I thought about it, the more it's so incredibly telling, right? So Kyrie is 26 years old. Uh, which feels crazy because it feels like he's been in our life for so much longer. It feels like he's been a staple in the NBA for so much longer. But he's 26. He's a kid. If he wasn't playing basketball, he would have just gotten his own health insurance. And <laughs> Very true. <laughs> for him to call for him to call LeBron and say, "Hey, I had it all wrong. Uh, you know, this leadership thing is not what I expected, and to deal with a sh- uh, bunch of sure-headed kids is a challenge that I was not anticipating." For him to call LeBron and say that shows incredible poise and uh, humility, and that's a really great thing. But then for him to, in the middle of a press conference, almost unprovoked, bring it up and kind of take a victory lap, shows Kyrie's age, and it kind of shows the kind of leader that he is. Uh, I don't want to like completely throw him under the bus, but Kyrie just feels like the kind of person that really wants to be liked and really wants to be a leader, but doesn't necessarily have the chops for it. Uh I've been told and I'm under the impression that young players just love Kyrie. They look up to him. Um, so maybe they don't know better, but I wonder about the older players. Like if you're Al Horford or Marcus Morris and you hear Kyrie kind of patting himself on the back for realizing what it takes to play with younger players, you know, what do, what do the older guys <laughs> think about that? So look, at the end of the day, it's a good thing that that Kyrie did that. That's a very human thing that he did that phone call. Uh and I guess LeBron was out to dinner when he first got it, and he didn't take the phone call. Uh, I think he was with Kevin Love, actually, and was kind of confused why Kyrie would be calling. And later he called Kyrie back, and they had their conversation, right? Uh, but uh, like you said, it looks like Irving has taken it to heart because he he really has turned around. And uh, Russell Westbrook is a good example that if you want to pad your assist stats, you probably can. Uh, and Kyrie kind of draws that gravity on the defense from other teams defenses. So probably these huge assist numbers are there for him whenever he wants it. So I'm kind of holding my breath on this one to make a long story short. It feels like there's still a disingenuous mist in the air, but I think the team will be that much better for it. I think if Kyrie can go out and score the way he does, but also set up his teammates, 
that will help the Celtics kind of hit a new gear. So it was kind of weird, uh, and it still is kind of weird. But like you said, three straight wins and huge assist numbers. So yeah, I guess you got to take it for what it's worth. If he keeps going out on the floor and works very hard on making his teammates better, I mean, the shots are still going to come to him. If he does make his teammates better, then people will lay off him and it will be easier for him. It's just a win-win situation. And I'm surprised that, that more people with games similar to his don't realize that that is, that is an option for them. But when it comes to this, uh, I don't know quite what to, I guess you could say drama is just really the easiest way to, to characterize it at this point. Um, there's been like a lot of like armchair psychoanalysis about what is quote unquote really going on with Kyrie, where he's secretly or not so secretly setting himself up for an exit to the Los Angeles Lakers, which is completely ridiculous. Um, to I mean I'm not I'm not even gonna list the rest of them. There's just been a lot of different takes on this, and for me I'm, I'm kind of lining up with the way you're looking at this too. This is just a young guy who has realized how hard it is to do the thing that he hate he hated getting done to him earlier, um, and he is still screwing up um, public relations, um, not necessarily media engagement because this was definitely staged with a purpose, um, but. He is really trying, consistently trying a lot of different things until something sticks. And, you know, I'm, I'm happy to watch that process unfold so long as he is re- re- reactive to his teammates as he has so far. Yeah, again, I think the on-the-court product is going to benefit from it. So if, it, if you have to kind of sit through some weird press conferences and some cringy moments, I mean, if he's, if he's throwing out four or five more assists a game, you got to take it. Yep. Another guy who is doing really well in this recent streak is Marcus Smart. Um, other than an incident that we will talk about shortly, uh, the the fact that he has developed a three-point shot. Uh, we spoke about this last week a bit, but he is continuing that, and he's actually gone above league average, which is really kind of what I thought was his ceiling and probably what I expect him to kind of level off to if he keeps, you know, selecting his shots the way he should have been, the way I've been screaming my TV for the last two years. Um, all of all of us. Uh, he's shooting 37.4% uh, last time I checked. Uh, I haven't updated the notes most recently. But, I mean, that was better than uh, Clay Thompson, uh, Devin Booker, Joe Ingles, like a lot of established shooters in the league. Um Brad Stevens isn't surprised. Uh, I mean, he's, he's shot as high as 42.9% um, over the last 20 or so games. Um, he's been doing really, really well, and I would just love to pick your brain on what you think is has been the catalyst behind this. Because you, you would, have, would have expected something like this more, and this is my opinion, last year when he was playing for a contract – I guess you could say that the hand injury that, that uh, Brad Stevens has been referencing as an impediment to him uh, last season was, was part of the reason, but I don't know. I don't think that has too much to do with your shot selection. I think probably two things are in play. One is that we're underestimating how human basketball is. And to your point, I mean, he has he's in a contract year last year, and clearly it wasn't panning out the way he wanted to, and we saw physical frustration. He hurt uh, his hand supposedly punching some glass picture frame or something, right? So his on-the-court product was affected by um, how his mindset, how he was feeling. Uh, and so maybe the contract year was pressure that he didn't rise to the occasion. 
I think a little bit of luck and just kind of hitting your groove is also a factor that maybe we're not anticipating, but he is clearly settled into uh, the, one of the calmest, I mean, okay, last, was it last night, two nights ago, notwithstanding, uh, he's one of the calmer heads in the locker room. If you read the Jackie McMullen, Jalen Brown piece, it seems like Marcus Smart is kind of a, a leveling agent in the Celtics locker room. And so if if he's approaching the season as, <laughs> surprisingly, I have one of the cooler heads here. I've been on this team the longest. I've been in Boston the longest. I know what it means to be the Celtics, a Celtic player the most. Uh, maybe he's just kind of settled into that. I mean, at this point, he's a veteran in, into that headspace. And so we know Marcus Smart to be an, an immense competitor. And if he is feeling confident and grounded, I think everything is starting to click. I think he's also getting incredible looks. That doesn't hurt. Uh, and is this his fifth year in the league, sixth year in the league? I mean, you'd hope that things would trend up and start to click. So his value is always going to be on defense. There's no way around it. He is in the starting lineup because of the way he plays defense and the way he supports other players in playing defense. If you ever either hear him mic'd up or just catch some of the player noise during a game, he's calling out orders and switches and he's putting people in their place. And that is probably more valuable than three point shooting. Although three point shooting is pretty awesome. Uh, I guess it comes down to whether or not it's sustainable. I don't know if defenses in the playoffs guard him as if he's going to hit these shots and then there's op- more open looks for other players or if he doesn't get guarded as you know a Clay Thompson or a Joe Ingles gets the looks he wants and keeps hitting them. So it could be huge for the Celtics. Uh, I think an overlooked part of this is he's kind of covering for Jason Tatum who is not, he's had flashes, but he is not the second offensive weapon that we kind of all assumed he was going to be for the Celtics. Because say Marcus Smart is shooting the way he was last year or in years past, that's you know ten points off the board, maybe a game that you're not getting, maybe not that many, but whatever it is, and then kind of things look a little uglier. So it's as a Celtics fan, it's a lot of fun. I do kind of want to see if another shoe drops, and I think Jason Tatum owes Marcus Smart a bit of thanks because it kind of covers for some of his lapses. He's definitely been been slumping. I, I kind of feel like he he still hasn't quite warmed up to the length of the season, uh, and he he's just kind of coasting until he gets a second win. Hopefully, he gets a second win like he did last season. Um, but to your point about Marcus Smart and the the, the ten lost points, like I mean, for a while, for a little while, Jalen Brown was kind of picking up his role of shooting this out of games, but he he is. Uh, along with Terry Rozier, been looking a lot better re- over the last couple of games as well. Not really been doing that lately. Um, but there, there were earlier in the season, I don't know if it's still you know the case, but early in the season there was a piece, I think it was by Kevin O'Connor, but I could be mistaken, about how people still guard Marcus Smart before he was shooting as well as he has been, uh, as if he's going to make it. So people are still closing out on him when he, when he takes a three, even though he, until this season, has, has had a horrible record shooting them. Um, so yeah, I'm really excited to see like how that affects spacing, particularly once it starts to get into uh, you know scouting reports on on the Celtics, whether or not people actually start to cover him even more aggressively than they already are, or whether it just kind of stays the same. You know, it's interesting. I I, I agree. So I'm the ten points as it came out of my mouth. I was like, you know, that's probably a little much. 
Marcus Smart this season in Celtics losses is averaging nine and a half points, which is not as I would have thought it was a little bit higher than that. But in wins, he's only averaging six point eight points. So the shooting is fantastic, but it really does come down to all the things that he does that doesn't show up on a stat sheet. I think because uh, he's only averaging eight points for the year, which is two or three points less than his career average. He's not, and his minutes are only down two minutes. So it's. Yeah, I mean, the, the shooting is nice. I hope he keeps it up. That would be huge for the Celtics and for Marcus Smart's career, but uh, it's still all the other things. It's it's still the Mark. I, I disagree. I disagree. See, the reason why I disagree goes back to shot selection is why the thing I keep bringing up. And it's, it's just that he's not shooting us out of games as much. He's not really, I think, giving us to – because his volume's really low this season in terms of what, he, what he's actually shooting and making – uh, compared to previous seasons, and I think that is the key. But before we get too far down that, that rabbit hole, I wanted to touch on the, I guess you could say kerfuffle, because it didn't actually come to, to blows with DeAndre Bembry of the Atlanta Hawks. During the Hawks game, uh, right before, or actually I think it was right after he ended up getting the, the ejection, what, what, what is your opinion on that, like, large scale and in the moment? So... I have kind of been beating a drum that Marcus Smart is a leader in this locker room, as I was saying before. And so this felt, it was disappointing, right? Uh, I don't think it's a huge transgression. I mean, no injury came of it. So that's, I guess, an improvement, right? Uh, yeah. I guess for me and I, th- my reaction. So he, this afternoon was slapped with a, uh, $35,000 fine, which in the grand scheme of things is not that uh, is much less than I would have thought because it seemed like he instigated something and then instigated it again and then refused to leave the court. I thought a game suspension was in order. So I, I'm thinking that uh, something, the refs know that whatever was said to him was I guess warranted something of a response. Uh, yeah. maybe they didn't hear it in the moment that, and we didn't get a double tech, but, uh, it, it seems like the league understands Marcus Smart's reaction because in a bubble, it was a lot. So again, uh, as we were saying before, Smart is a competitor without a peer, right? He is someone who bleeds competition and in the heat of a frustrating game against the Hawks, where I think they were down seven or eight at the time. Uh, in the third quarter to the Hawks, you got to be yeah, angry. Awful. And if someone <laughs> if someone says a magic word or or the, the wrong thing, I can see someone like Marcus Smart getting hot headed. So it persisted longer than I would have liked. Obviously, I mean, no one wants to see that kind of stuff happen. But based on the league's reaction, I think there's something or two that we don't know about it that maybe makes me feel a little bit better. Maybe he apologized after. I don't know. Maybe that's it. But. Yeah, Bembry was also didn't sound like he was very surprised by by Marcus Smart's reaction, and didn't. So I kind of I kind of agree with you there. Um, my initial response was very worrisome, uh, just because of his his career history. But then, and you know, the the the, the comment you made about at least it didn't result in injury. Uh, that is a telling one why I've kind of shifted position after thinking it over a little bit, uh, because. Nothing got punched, uh, whether we're talking picture frames, people, or anything that can, you know, remove him from our play uh, for an extended period of time, which is a, a frequent January ritual at this point in his career. 
which is really kind of weird in itself, just like roughly the same week in January, he just has kind of like a bit of a meltdown about something. But I guess that comes along with his intense competition. The fact that he didn't take it, you know, the fact that he pulled back before it was too late, I guess is the way to put it, um, actually shows some growth. So that, that is a good thing, I think. Yeah, I think it was it was 20 to 30% too much out of him. But you know how sometimes a coach will let themselves get ejected just to kind of like rile up the team? Uh, the Celtics outscored the Hawks 44 to 29 after the ejection. So maybe that was Smart's way of uh, falling on a sword so the team would get jacked up. But it was a little much. But uh, like you said, trending in the right direction in terms of Marcus Smart's January outbursts. Apart from all of the, the Marcus Smart-oriented stuff, uh, going back to Kyrie, as well as the rest of the Celtics, but mainly Jason Tatum, uh, Kyrie and Tatum are in range in the third return from the All-Star Game votes uh, to, to be able to play an All-Star Game. Kyrie is actually in range of captaincy uh, with about 500,000 votes, um, just under $3 million for Giannis, uh, with Kyrie coming in about 500000 under that. Tatum is just over Jimmy Butler last last vote returns. Um, he has a pretty good chance of getting in. Gordon and Al are in ninth and tenth respectively. I don't really think personally my my you can get ten votes per day. I would be spending all of my votes on Jason Tatum and Kyrie Irving just to try to get that uh, Kyrie LeBron captaincy. I know it's going to be a stretch on both sides, but. I would love to see that. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on on the, the, the whole Celtic situation in the All-Star game? Uh, I, I kind of don't think Jason Tatum deserves it. I think... Not really. <laughs> I think he is... Well, so... I My point of view on the All-Star game is it... You know, like, people are up in arms about the fan vote, voting, but it's, it's a game for the fans. And as much... I don't want to, you know, downplay how much I like watching the All-Star game, but... I I loved it the most when I was a teenager or in college. So it's it's very much so a a showy brand kind of building thing for the NBA. And so Jason Tatum is in How to Train Your Dragon ads and 2K Kids ads and Nike ads and terrible Honeydew Donut ads. He's a star. He his basketball showing is not great. I mean his shooting percentages are down across the board this year. His uh, he's scoring more, but not as efficiently. Thank you, Kobe. But uh, by the letter of the law, he's a star. He's a household name. Uh, Marcus Morris is having himself a career year and ostensibly a, a bigger, having a bigger impact on the Celtics. But I bet if you ask the average, you know, fifteen-year-old Thunder fan what they think of Marcus Morris, they're not going to have an opinion. So uh, Kyrie, I mean, he's he's probably going to start. I don't know if he'll be captain, but probably start. Right? I don't know that Tatum will make it. If he does, he'll be on the tail end of the bench, but does he deserve it? Uh, from a basketball standpoint, I don't think so. From a star standpoint, yeah. He and his team are, are building some star power. And uh, I mean, it's clearly showing in the voting because what is he fourth or fifth in voting? Uh, Jason Tatum. I believe he's just barely fourth. It was like 10 or 15,000. Right. So I could believe he's the fourth most beloved star in the Eastern conference, but it would be very, very hard pressed to say he's the fourth best player in the Eastern Conference. So, oh, he's definitely not, <laughs> definitely, definitely not. 
Yeah, you touched on a couple of things I, I wanted to to bring up. Uh, Marcus Morris in particular, just, I mean, the man is still in the range of a 50-40-90. He's been shooting a little bit crappy in the last couple of games, but, I mean, he's still able to to close out a season at 50-40-90, which very few people have done on the Boston Celtics uh, in recent years. I think, like, Larry Bird is one of the very few I can think of off the top of my head, um, if not the only, and a handful, you know, in the last 20, 30 years, period. Uh but besides MOOC, um, there's there's also just the whole issue of how it's structured. I think we probably agree that it has no business being part of contract uh, negotiations, and it should not. This should not be impacting like all NBA. You want to make that part? I think that's great. You know, keep keep it the way it is, and let that be like a decisor de- decider. Um, but. I'm completely behind the idea of just letting the fan vote vote be the vote and keep it playground style, broadcast a playground. Like there's no positions even just like you just pick teams as, as you go along with with the top two vote getters, one from the East, one from the West, and they can pick from the entire NBA uh, and just try to assemble a team and make it make sense. I think it would be way more fun. Yeah. I'm not too romantic about what the all-star game is. It's, it's good fun. But it should be, I think, everyone's favorite players. Um, yeah. If if that means you have to let Zaza Pachulia start one year, I mean, that's what the fans want, right? Some fans somewhere, probably in Georgia, but God bless them. So, yeah. I'm I'm happy. Uh, I think Kyrie, without a shadow of a doubt, I think basketball purists would make a case for Horford and uh, Marcus Morris. I work in a middle school. I think my students would make a case for. Jason Tatum, and there's a middle ground somewhere, so I guess we'll see what happens. Uh, but I th- the smart money's probably on Tatum, whether or not he deserves it. What do you feel about, like, how do you feel about people like Dwayne Wade and Vince Carter uh, making the early returns? Uh, do, you, do you think that they should be in the All-Star game? I'm guessing probably yes, based on, on your, your fan-oriented kind of position. Right, like, what was it, two or three years ago where someone was injured and Mello was added to the team. Yep. It's just star power, bring it all in. And actually, what I think the NBA should do, uh, but they won't do, is they should make Dirk and Dwayne Wade the conference captains. Oh, nice. I think that would be... I don't know how you... And maybe Vince Carter MCs it because he deserves a nod, but he might be back next year, so who knows. But uh, I don't... Like, LeBron and Giannis drafting is going to be awkward. Um, LeBron and Kyrie would make for good TV, but even that will be awkward. I think everyone loves Wade. Everyone loves Dirk. They're veterans enough that they could kind of play media ball. Uh, and then, I mean, they don't have to worry about being political or anything like that. I think it'd be great. I don't know that the NBA is going to do that. Maybe they listen to this podcast and Adam Silver will, you know, intercept. But that if when I'm in power, that's how I'm going to play it. I would love to see retired veterans play, even even if it was in the big three uh, all-star game. Um, not that they have an all-star game, but if they had some kind of a way to integrate retired veterans to come play, even if it was, like, say, the big three, you know, a three-on-three game, uh, just to kind of, I don't know, keep that connection going between the generations. Like, we, we see, like, the, the, the D-League kind of – excuse me, G-League, I'm old um, – developing into kind of, you know, a, a sensible replacement for the NCAA's top-tier talent that aren't really there to get a college education at all anyway. Uh, so I would like to 
you know, I would like to see the NBA get a little more experimental on the other side of the spectrum, too, and see how they can keep um, older veterans involved in ways that do not have them commentating on my games. Speaking about old faces, Isaiah Thomas is scheduled to, well, supposedly, we'll see if it actually happens, scheduled to debut for the Denver Nuggets this season on February 11th. Tellingly, I believe after the uh, moved up uh, trade deadline, so it looks like he's going to be with them unless something surprising happens uh, for the rest of the season. What are, what are your thoughts on, on the whole Isaiah Thomas situation? It doesn't look like he's going to have too much time in Denver, which might actually be good for him to start, but probably not good for the rest of his career because he's running out of time to make money. Chip kind of probably has sailed, like you said, for Isaiah to make anything like a Brinks truck worth of money. Uh, he's going to get to go deep in the postseason. I don't know if the smart money is on the Nuggets to go you know, all the way, but... You, you have to root for Isaiah Thomas. I can't, you would have to be some sort of, you know, sociopathic cynic to not want to see him succeed. And there, I think there's space in the Nuggets uh, backcourt rotation to g- give him some minutes. I think, uh, especially down the stretch, if they're kind of like locked into a certain seed, like the one or two seed, he could definitely come in. Uh, I haven't thought about it too much. I suppose there's a chance he could be bought out if that's not the case. Uh, oh, good point. I mean, uh, uh, oddly enough, I bet the Warriors, I don't know. Oh, don't say that. No, 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 no. <laughs> Trauma. <laughs> it would be fitting, though, wouldn't it? So, like you said, uh, I, I don't know when and how or if he makes his money. I don't think he does. I think he he will be in the league for if he can stay healthy for a few more years. I don't think ever as a max or near max player, but... Uh, we never saw him reaching all-star status to begin with, so I have written in my notes about IT's return, smiley emoji, and then little bead of sweat emoji, because I'm happy he's back, I'm hopeful, but maybe it will be sad. Let's temper our expectations. The fact that he can continue playing the game that he loves after what he has gone through with a hip injury that, you know, it's ended more than one person's career, so... The fact that he can even have a, have a chance at, at continuing to play in the NBA, that at least makes me happy. Uh, I, I don't know if I would be ecstatic to see him on the Warriors at all, uh, but it would be a fitting end if we ended up facing off against him. Uh, I'm not going to play that out in my mind any more than I already have, as I'm sure you can imagine what I'm thinking. Uh, but while we're talking about the Warriors, uh, DeMarcus Cousins, he's not looking that bad. Uh, 14-6-3 in three or four from deep in his debut in just 15 minutes. Do you think Boston would be able to deal with him if we ended up getting that far to begin with? Uh, and how? I mean, I guess we get a, you know, later this week, we get a look at that. But what, what are your thoughts before that actually gets played out a little bit? Yeah. Uh, you wrote uh, in our pregame notes, how does Boston deal with him? And I said, uh, in my notes, they don't. But then I thought about it. And it, player by player, there's a way to stay hopeful about it. Kyrie and Irving, you know, tit for tat, almost a wash. I mean, I don't want to take away from what, Ky- what Curry can do, but we've seen what Kyrie can do in the – this would be the finals, what Kyrie can do in the finals. Tatum and Clay. That, that I mean, obviously, Clay is a better player, but may- maybe Tatum can hang – uh, if you're gonna stop 
Kevin Durant, I mean, Marcus Smart is your best hope, right? I mean, I wish he had a few more inches on Durant, but, uh, and then Marcus Morris, and then Marcus Morris can kind of slow down the, the ghost of Draymond Green. Uh, then Horford can't really hang with Boogie, but Boogie on a, uh, recovering Achilles, maybe he can. So there's a matchup where the Warriors clearly have the advantage. There's, there's no way around that, but it's, Maybe not as tragic as all that, because then you have Gordon Hayward, Terry Rozier, uh, and Jalen Brown kind of to plug and play. So just uh, probably Boston gives the Warriors across the board, including DeMarcus Cousins, the most fits, I would bet. But uh, Warriors in five, you know? Probably. I, I kind of, like, in terms of coverage, I'm, I have almost exactly the same view uh, with just a general strategy that you, you try to really clamp down on the defense for, for when the starters are in, and you use the second unit to, to punish them uh, as much as you can whenever they don't have Curry and Durant on the floor at the same time. Yeah, but, I mean, in the playoffs, it's only maybe five minutes, you know? Yeah, I mean that's really it's really the only way I can see a victory, and with a, with a plan like that in place, I, I think we might be able to get it to six games. Uh, it, it's even convinced, you know, it could happen with with the right. I'm not, you know, I'm not saying that I want anyone to be injured, but if someone does get injured, if people do miss games because of um, advanced uh, age like Iguodala or knee soreness, like. Draymond, then there there is a potentiality to see it go further than five games. But I do think that realistically speaking, if they come with their A game and we come with ours, that is probably what we're looking at, at least for this season. With some development, I think we will be able to be a much better matchup, particularly with age on their end. Uh, but that is really, I think, the only way forward for Boston at the moment. Um, before we get into last week's games, I just want to let uh, listeners know that we are going to try to sandbox a new voice mailbag. Uh, I don't know how well it's going to work, but we'll, 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 we'll try to, we'll try to see how, how you guys like it. First of all, uh, whether you have any questions for us from it and, you know, just, we'll, we'll just keep it unnamed as of now. And it may or may not appear based on how you guys respond to it. But it, look for it in the, the article for this podcast, and hopefully we can get some of y'all uh, in the audience on the air uh, to hear yourself ask us some ridiculous or very serious questions about the Boston Celtics. Um, last week, uh, mostly successful as we've been hinting, apart from the loss to Brooklyn to start the week, uh, we, we had wins over Toronto, Memphis, and Atlanta. Uh, most surprising game of all of them really was Atlanta, at least for me, uh, based on what you were talking about, the, the awful first half and first half of the third quarter. Um, we were really lucky we ended up winning that game. Anything else from, from the past week stand out in your mind? Yeah, I think it's just a good time to point out that as much as the Celtics really have turned a new corner, there's the, the question marks that we're holding on to are valid. I, looking at even since November... Uh, we've lost to Miami, Detroit, Phoenix, and Brooklyn, and then there's losses to Orlando and Charlotte also on the schedule. And, and even though they won in Atlanta, even though they won against Memphis, they let bad teams hang around. If you compare that to Toronto and Milwaukee, they have far fewer bad losses. 
uh, and they have, and the losses that they do have, I mean, I think Milwaukee has lost to Phoenix and Toronto has lost to Orlando, but those were close games. They were buzzer beaters or one or two possession games. So uh, the Brooklyn loss, the way the Atlanta game shook out, it's, it's good. I mean, the Toronto loss win this past week was fantastic for the Celtics, but uh, the times where the Celtics lose winnable games or let bad teams hang around is kind of discouraging. And I don't want to dig too deep into it. We probably don't have the time for it. Is something that I feel like I've said during the Brad Stevens era probably a little too much that this Celtics team, or rather Brad Stevens Celtics teams, let bad teams hang around. They usually close out in the fourth pretty uh, well. I'm pretty sure their record against sub-500 teams are pretty fantastic, but there is a, a laziness going on against the bad teams. Second and third quarters have just been the worst for us for at least the last two seasons. I haven't really been paying attention beyond that, but I definitely noticed that last season as well. So, week ahead, uh, we're recording this on Monday, so you might not hear this before the Miami game. It'll probably be up a little bit before or after. Uh, Definitely, you know, it's at home at least, so we don't have the Miami nightlife as a distraction or the Florida nightlife in general. Uh, Speaking of that disastrous last uh, contact with the Florida teams uh, a few weeks ago, we also have against, I think they're the league's worst, but if they're not, they're, they're second or third, uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers. The East definitely does not still go through them, but I could easily see us dropping a game if we revert to those bad habits again. They have been able to beat some pretty good teams this season when they try. Uh, and then the matchup with the Golden State Warriors, I was hinting that is Saturday, 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. I'm sure we will all be watching that. Uh, before we get out of here, though, um, Previously on podcasts that we've done together, mostly about expansion uh, and and stuff like that, but also about the uh, UK game, we had uh, regular Josh Coyne on the show. Um, I thought that maybe we could, you know, touch back on on that. But before we jump out to him, uh, maybe you could tell me your thoughts on this year's UK game. Uh, Well... (laughs) Uh, we certainly didn't send the Brits our best. Uh, I, speaking of teams that you should not lose to if you're the Celtics, the Wizards and the Knicks are not, you know, what the best the NBA has to offer. And that the game ended on a goaltend is pretty perfect. I, the, the way the Wizards celebrated, I mean, I've never been in a high stakes basketball game like that. I don't know what it feels like to win, but like, I, you like, you, did you see Buddy Heald? He hit a game winner, and he was ecstatically riding around the court and just booked it into the locker room. That feels warranted. But the way the Wizards celebrated on this goaltend, you would have thought that they just won a playoff series. It was insane. So I'm excited to hear what Josh had to say about it. And I know he can't speak for every uh, person living in the UK, but he certainly can give us an inside scoop. Uh, but I thought, you know, it's nice that we brought a game over there, but hopefully next season we can give them a better game. Thanks, man. I am, of course, Justin Quinn, here with Celtics Life UK correspondent Josh Coyne, who just got back from this year's NBA UK game, which featured the New York Knicks and Washington Wizards. 
we thought we'd check back in with Josh about the event and see how it compared to last year's, which, as most of you know, featured Boston and the 76ers. How's it going, Josh? It's good, thank you, Justin. How are you? Oh, probably less tired than you are. I mean, that is quite the event from what I hear. Yeah, I mean, obviously with it, with the NBA only coming to the UK once a year, they really kind of make a a big event out of it. it becomes kind of a week long event for anyone who's kind of hardcore on hoops. Um, but yeah, I was uh, I was reporting from um, uh, basically the three days around the event itself. Uh, the day before was probably a little bit more hectic than the the other one, um, the actual game night. Uh, but what what the real takeaway is is that if you're trying to promote a brand, they did pretty much a brilliant job of doing so over here, um, except from the actual quality of the teams that they picked. So just just so people know a little bit more about the event, maybe you could tell us, uh, you know, uh, we know who played. Um, and we know it was in London, but I mean, just like, give us an idea for those of us who haven't like, you know, experienced the UK game, like the, the, the venue, the atmosphere, um, and more importantly for, for us Boston fans, um, how it compared to say Boston, Philadelphia, um, and any, like, you know, any stuff that really stands out in your mind from, from not just the game itself, but the event. Uh, from the event, uh, it's kind of like Myself included, there are a lot of um, obsessive NBA fans over here. Uh, in terms of a mass sport, it's consider- considerably lower than many sports from around the world. In fact, it's massively underfunded and underappreciated over here. Um, but to add some perspective, what it would be like is if you're someone who's really within the American sports bubble, um it's it's kind of it's kind of like uh, I, I I guess it's like two Premier League teams coming over to play in Boston for one night, uh, play a soccer game, and all of the kind of people that you hear about that hang around in the sporting shadows as uh, Premier League fans, they kind of just commune for one night, and it's just a real kind of. Uh, communion of all of the hardcore basketball nerds from the country um just all kind of showing their feathers with all of their different team jerseys and everyone absolutely from head to toe in nba paraphernalia Uh, so it just becomes this real kind of um uh it's really hard to describe but besides uh describing it as a communion of obsessives in terms of the game itself um, on Thursday night, it was the Knicks versus the Wizards. And in comparison to last year, which all of the Boston fans will know, was Boston versus Philadelphia. It just was not... It was subpar in terms of quality of basketball. I mean, the, that was... You know, everyone saw that coming with the quality of the teams. The Knicks, obviously, being incredibly lowly and the Wizards underachieving, albeit without... Um, their second best player. Um, yeah, <laughs> I would uh, argue with that, but sure. Yeah, but the the everything considered, though, 
what I think it is, is I think that the NBA are constantly in conversations with teams to say, do you want to do this? People put forward their interest and then years ahead, they kind of put back and forth throughout the pecking order as to the team that might travel to London uh, to, to play a regular season game. It, it's crazy for their schedule. It's almost a little bit like a little break for a lot of teams in their schedule because they actually just stop playing for a week and then they go play one game and they do a bit of sightseeing, go to a few events. Um, but I think it's just by pure coincidence that last year we had a really good game and it just happened to be two teams that were really competitive with each other and eventually met each other in the postseason. And then this year it was a bit of a a bit of a dud in terms of fixture. And that was not helped by the fact that John Wall, Ennis Cantor and kind of everyone and their mother didn't didn't decide to turn up uh, for a multitude of reasons, some more serious than others. Um, but that's... I mean that's it in 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 a in a in a vacuum. What I would say is that the most fascinating thing that I did for the last couple of days around it were I I, I attended the practices. Uh, I'm getting the kind of reporting reps um, that I so crave because I can't always get on a plane to go over and re- report on a game. Yeah, as a Celtics fan and blogger based in Mexico City. I share that. We, you know, we only get one or two games a year if we're even lucky to get them every year. Some years we don't even get one. Um, so I definitely, definitely understand that. But I want to touch on that a little bit more because you actually got a chance to get a window into uh, a connection to the Celtics that doesn't necessarily come to everybody's mind unless it's brought up. And that would be Markeith Morris, uh, who you spoke to and wrote on for Celtics Life about the Boston rivalry. And it's kind of fizzling since uh, since the the Wizards haven't been doing so well this year. So maybe you could tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, so I mean, Markeith has a tenuous link to Boston, even without his brother playing, I guess, because he was involved quite heavily in all of the back and forths that happened a few years ago, where people basically tried to talk a rivalry into existence. I don't think anyone saw them as kind of on-court rivals in the way that maybe uh, the Lakers and Celtics once were, or even Toronto and Celtics might end up being this year. Um, But it he, he, he played a big part in that. There was a lot of stuff uh, back and forth in the press. They did their thing where they wore black. Um, <laughs> that did know, not work out well. <laughs> yeah. Or, or, you know, very theatrical stuff. Um, yeah. So he was a big part of that. So what? when I got a chance to speak to him, uh, generally I was covering it for uh, my UK website, double doubleclutch.uk, nice plug. And I got a chance to go in and... Uh, I've got more to tell you about the practices because it was one of the most bizarre practices I've ever seen in my life oh, that, that afternoon. But with the Washington uh, practice itself, obviously we got the media scrum and then we basically had a free-for-all to go and speak to whoever we want. I spoke to Thomas Bryant, who ended up actually winning the game at the O2 Arena, um, and he was a really kind of friendly guy. And then I went over and spoke to Mark Keith, and he was very... Uh, straightforward is that the best way to describe it very straightforward with me Uh, but I got a chance to speak to him about Marcus and he explained that he thinks that the rivalry was over as soon as Marcus uh, started wearing green and you know that's if the rivalry actually ever existed but he also said it's been a long time coming for Marcus to get the opportunity he's been having in Boston um, and and that 
he he didn't he's not in any way surprised by how well Marcus has been playing in terms of you know sometimes at the during this year he's almost been one of the players to buoy us when uh, Boston have been struggling for form so yeah it was been, it's been very interesting um were you asking me to kind of talk about the other practice oh please absolutely this sounds very interesting okay so <clears throat> Picture this, I, and I know that a lot of people kind of will be thinking, well, it's just a practice. I mean, legitimate reporters go to practice every day. That's fine. This guy over with the British accent, all of a sudden he goes to an NBA practice and he thinks it's crazy. But this genuinely was strange. Um, we had the Washington practice, which was essentially um, free, uh, kind of open shot practice it was the most kind of laissez-faire thing that you'll ever see in your life it was it was just because it was on the schedule that's why they turned up and did it they did mm-hmm. a couple, some very light shooting and then they were immediately available for the press after something like 20 minutes so then there was a crossover in terms of media availability we spoke to washington then we spoke to the knicks and then the knicks were scheduled to do a practice after being available to the media. So I spoke to David Fisdale, spoke to a couple of the Knicks. And then the practice began, and we thought it might be the same thing. You know, it's just a, ultimately it's a glorified media availability session, and then they'll just do some kind of stuff for people to take photos of. But that was definitely not the case. So the Knicks got lined up against a wall, um, not in a kind of... Uh, uh, Perp walk? Uh, yeah, not not in a kind of scary way that I'm suggesting yeah. it sounds like. But they got put up against the wall. They were sitting down, and you kind of heard from the other side where the, the press, and it was a significant media scrum, as you'd imagine, considering there's one game in London per year, yeah. um, was on the other side of the gym where we'd basically been told to stay because obviously you have to stay off the court. And Fisdale was preaching that that they should uh, keep their minds engaged, and that and that's the most important thing, mental engagement. Uh, and then what happened is another coach who I actually tried to find the name of, I can't find it, but he clearly has um, a large involvement in the uh, mental stimulation of the team. And he, the, the players knew what was going to happen, and he started talking very gently. Um, and a, a lot of the players closed their eyes and many players and staff got on the floor and a meditation session began. So oh, weird. it wasn't just a meditation session, though, is it? Because there are 150 people that they don't know on the other side of the gym trying to stay quiet whilst these grown athletes did, you know, got in, in touch and kind of uh, uh, explored their mindfulness on the floor with their eyes closed for a 10 minutes. And then before you could say, you know, before you could snap your fingers, these guys were up doing layups and genuinely doing very hard drilled practice in front of the media. It was, uh, Fearsdale was like a sergeant out there. It was the complete opposite. It was on the other end of the scale to the Washington practice. But what I thought was fascinating was that this guy clearly very liked by his team, very respected. They were, hanging off his every word, um, was lulling these guys to sleep and then immediately getting them to practice. It was it was very fascinating. And it was amazing to see the stark difference between uh, Washington's approach, which might be schedule related. You know, it's, you know, teams don't practice in the NBA all that much. I'm aware of that. Um, but the difference in which 
the teams approached the practices was very interesting to me. And some would argue that maybe the Knicks need the practice even more than Washington. Yeah, I don't think that's an unfair characteristic or characterization of them uh, based on their record. And, you know, I have heard that there are a lot of interesting techniques. I mean, yoga has been being added into to teams, uh, warm up routines uh, more and more just because of, of how it opens up the body and helps prevent injury. Uh, and I don't see any reason why things like meditation would be a good way to add kind of some, some mental clarity to, to approaching the practice and, you know, games in general. I don't know if they would be able to do that in a game uh, kind of a situation just because it's a, it's a little more hectic and a little more, more rushed um, generally. But the unique nature of this, I mean, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. I obviously don't go to too many uh, New York Knicks or, um, excuse me, Washington Wizards practices. Uh, but definitely interesting that they're, they're taking these tacks, uh, even, even, or maybe because of the uniqueness of the situation. Yeah. I mean, the, 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 the thing is when people kind of talk to you about meditation, not often do they, uh, envision an experience in which they're meditating and they're trying to find what they want from meditation, um, and there's 150 people taking photos of them on the other side of the room. <laughs> I actually, I need to look for some of those photos. Hopefully somebody has them out there. Um, if anybody does have any of them, definitely hit us up with CLPOD for a hashtag or just post them in any article. I would love to see them if anybody any out there have them. I would like to ask you, you know, we kind of, we touched on this very briefly um, and I know that the convention kind of like atmosphere surrounding the game itself probably distorts the actual level of interest in a way that, you know, you'd have to have, like you, you yourself have, kind of a more sustained engagement with the sport in general to really accurately assess. But based on what you saw, do you feel like the NBA is really starting to take root as as an additional sport in, in the United Kingdom, the way that soccer has been you know, kind of what you were hinting towards, like the idea of, of having two Premier Leagues come to the United States, uh, Premier League teams, would probably be a huge event in itself and something that they should consider if, you know, anyone with any pull in that regard is listening. Um, but what do you think? I mean, is the NBA really, you know, do you think it has a future in, in the United Kingdom? So the NBA as a spectator sport, um, I so there's a few things to cover on that is that um in so to put things into context i mean you you spoke about soccer which is generally called association football over here that's the kind of most official um phrasing um okay and you'll know this with with your background and your living situation is that that's the biggest sports sport in the world so outside of the kind of um uh, concentrated interest of America. Uh, football is the biggest sport in the world, and that's definitely the case here. It's the most popular sport. Uh, it's where the money is. It's where the majority of the attention and the ongoing sporting discourse is. And then you've got a kind of a tier below that in which you'll have um, you'll have people. I mean, I mean, everyone's aware. Generally, most sports fans are aware of what is happening. Um, in the football world, and that's especially the case with the major events such as maybe the Champions League final and the World Cup final. Mm -hmm. Then you'll have a tier below that, which is kind of people who will have more kind of specialised interests in cricket, uh, rugby, tennis, um, and, 
and, and other such sports. And those those are the main sports of the UK. Um, that's fair to say. Basketball is growing and growing and growing in terms of uh, 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 something that kids do. Play, you know, young children are being taught to play basketball at quite an early age. There are little hubs within cities in which there is a real interest. Uh, I'm lucky enough to be from Leicester um, in the middle of the United Kingdom, which is where there is a huge interest in basketball. It's where the best British basketball team is. That's <coughs> Sorry, the British Basketball League is quite uh, a low-level competition in comparison to the rest of Europe, but the interest is definitely there. And then throughout the rest of the country, people are being taught to play at more than they ever have been. So basketball itself is a growing sport for sure. In terms of the interest in the NBA, that is also growing. The league, in terms of league pass subscriptions within the last year, if I if I if I recall correctly, throughout the whole of Europe, the United Kingdom has the largest growing number um, of league pass uh, subscriptions. So it's definitely on the rise in terms of sports. I think the fact that um, everything is in place and that there's a partnership with the arena, the O2 Arena in London, which is a great setup, an excellent venue, which is basically a complex for large-scale concerts and sporting events. Because that is all set up, I think that's essentially the reason London gets a game. Every time I sp- uh, go to the press conference for NBA London with Adam Silver, um, in which you know, uh, I was lucky enough to get a question into the big man again. Um, yes. He, yeah, he, he the, every time you go there, the majority of the questions will be, when is a game coming to this city? When is a game coming to this European city? And most of them have massively valid arguments. Probably the main reason is because we have the infrastructure to put that event on in London. If the venue wasn't there, it might not happen. And I guess the fact that we speak the same language might play a small factor in it. But I think that in terms of the NBA's growth in England, I think that the interest is going to continue to grow. I think that the involvement that the NBA has with London itself um, might stay on this level for a long time. Because I think that when you hear those people asking that question, I think that the NBA realizes year by year just how much more room they have to grow. And I think there's a lot more places in Europe with actually a bigger history in the sport itself. Spain, a lot of Eastern Europe, they just love basketball a lot more than my country. And it's uh, that's, you know, infuriating. Um, but it's, <laughs> But it just happens to be the case. So I think they have a lot more... Uh, room to move around Europe and Asia, of course. China is one of is almost more passionate about basketball than the US. Um, so that's what I hear. So I think they have too much room to root, uh, move around and grow uh, in the rest of the world before they can start m- making major moves forward in the in the UK. I think that a franchise, uh, if they were to start a franchise, which was asked to many people over the the last week, Bradley Beal in particular, um, 
when I was uh, speaking to Bradley Beal, someone else asked him the question about that. And he said, oh, yeah, it'd be great for the NBA. It'd be brilliant for the NBA to uh, come to London and get its own team. That would be great in terms of growing the sport. It's such a great place to come and visit. And then the next question um, was, uh, would you consider playing for the London team? And uh, guess what? His enthusiasm for a London team went downhill. <laughs> because he would not want to come to London. He said that he doesn't know it well enough and he doesn't want to leave the United States. So there would be too much complication for things like that. In terms of more games, I'm I'm not so sure. Going back to the thing that I already said, I think there's too much opportunity to have one in Paris, Rome, um, kind of all of the, the major European cities that have the... Uh, facilities to put to put a game on. Sorry, that was a long one, but it needed to no, be. No, that was that was that was everything that I was going to hit you up with. Yeah, um, it was like you were reading my mind. Uh, <laughs> one thing that I would like to get your opinion on, based on, because this sparked a different idea. I was going to ask about an expansion team, because you know, being in Mexico, I kind of want one here too. You know, two games, one game a year, not enough for for us, you know, hardcore fans. Mm. Um, but speaking of the World Cup. Perhaps if the EuroLeague winner could play the Chinese League winner, uh, et cetera, et cetera, and we could get at least four leagues because really we only have three major leagues that are even close to NBA levels, including the NBA. Um, if we could get a fourth league developed up to a level where they're not going to always just always be the losing team of the four, we might be able to get some kind of like, you know, more FIBA kind of like, uh, kind of, but at a, I don't know, quite like kind of more like a world cup type of an event uh, in a way that USA basketball, um, doesn't quite have the same kind of cachet, uh, in the States at least. I mean, I can't speak for how it is overseas, but I, I, I could definitely see some kind of a world championship of basketball, you know, not anytime in the near future, but 20, 30, 40 years down the road. Yeah. I could see that being a direction where the sport could end up going. And that actually, to me, is something that sounds really exciting for when I'm in my rocking chair. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, there are huge steps to be taken, of course, to be able to get there. Um, there are many things that stand in their way. But that would almost be like the, um, in, in soccer, there's the Champions League, which is the European Cup, uh, where everyone from the best kind of... Um, uh, the best teams from each league play each other to try and win the European Cup, and it's considered to be the ultimate goal uh, for for a club team. Um, but I, I can see that uh, as a good idea, and I think someone might have actually even suggested that to Silver the other day um, in in a roundabout way. But there are so many problems, and that's the fact. One of the problems itself is the power of the NBA. I mean, the, the, one of the problems itself is the fact that the dream for everyone is to go to the NBA or be involved with an NBA team. I think they've monopolized the league to the point where all of the top European talent, of course, is going to the NBA. And guess what? Some of the best team uh, players in the world right now are European and some of the new players that are the best that are coming into the league are European and they wouldn't want to stay in Europe except from maybe a few who have wanted to stay in the top Spanish teams because Spain has such a uh, basically is the second best league in the world uh, including any kind of college um, league or uh, the G League, it's just considerably better than them, as you're seeing uh, from the strength of Luka Doncic's performance. But there are many things in the way. It would be really, really fantastic to see that happen and for 
um, club basketball to be um, a, a more kind of unionized thing around the world. The other thing, though, is that it could tread on the toes of something like FIBA. You, you touched on FIBA. FIBA is a great organization. And outside of the USA, um, you know, FIBA have a stronghold of a lot of the competitions and a lot of the the teams around the world. So, yeah, it'd be really interesting. And hopefully, I mean, it depends how long you look, you're, you're uh, planning on sticking around for on your rocking chair, Justin. <laughs> Very true. Let's get out of here and get to our respective rocking chairs. Uh, but before we get out of here, is there anything you want to plug? Anywhere we can look for your work? Uh, yeah, you can go to doubleclutch.uk um, where you will find that I have spoken to Thomas Bryant, as I previously suggested. Uh, Thomas won the game in NBA London and uh, he talked about his time coming up from the G League. He was bounced back and forth with the LA Lakers um, and then he found his place in Washington. He was a bit part player and he's just worked his ass off to get into that team. So we talked to him about having no limit to the amount of effort that he'll put on to try and establish himself in the league. And then that kind of was bookended very nicely by him uh, making the play to win the game at the end. Um, and there's another piece where I just kind of used the, the, the content of my conversation with David Fisdale to talk about the because he talked about the Ennis Cantor situation and he told me that um, they were trying to support him as well as possible, but he had no involvement in it. And I also talk about the practice session that I talked about a moment ago. As well as that, I'm a contributor to Celtics Life and I uh, recently spoke to Markeith Morris as we've, as we've gone through um, and I wrote a piece on that uh, a couple of days ago so just keep checking out the Celtics live page uh, there's a lot of really good stuff from a lot of really really uh, interesting writers well thanks Josh uh, check out the links at the top of CelticsLife.com where we have a huge variety of shirts and hoodies as most of you know you can't get anywhere else and you can even get tickets to the copious home games we're going to have in couple of weeks under the heading you know, very hard to remember tickets you can find the pod on Wushka, itunes google play stitcher spotify and most podcatcher apps please subscribe so you don't miss an episode and if you like what you hear you know the deal five stars help us reach other people if you don't like something have a suggestion or just want to talk to us let us know with a comment on any Celtics like article or on twitter with the hashtag c-o-p-o-d we are always trying to bring you the Celtics coverage the way you want the way you like it Thanks for joining us today, Cam. Thanks, Josh. It's been great having you, as usual, and we'll get you back on here soon. Thanks, man.